Hey, hey, Taste Buds. Today's House of Carbs brought to us by our good friends at Bud Light. Yeah, I drink that Bud Light. Did you know, hungry homies, that not all alcohol products are required to list their ingredients? That's That was news to me. Bud Light is changing the game. They believe that we deserve to know our beer's ingredients, so they're putting an ingredients label right on the packaging. Bud Light, brewed with hops, barley, water, and rice. You know what's not in there? Corn syrup, preservatives, no artificial flavors. You don't need any of that stuff. Find out what ingredients are in your beer. Bud Light. Enjoy responsibly. A.B. Bud Light Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. Taste buds, culinary comrades, my hungry homies. Here we are. We've done it. It is the winter of 2019, but you're hungry. You want to eat. Welcome to another edition of House of Carbs Food Podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your hungry host, Joe House. My friends, thank you for joining us. Today, our old friend, Adam Rappaport, the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit magazine, he comes on once a quarter. We talk about some recipes. We talk about the flavor profile of the moment. It's the middle of the winter for most of these great United States of America. So Rappo comes on. We chop up a, a, a delicious menu. We have a main course. We have we talk some apps. We give out a few bonus tips. We have some some tools we're talking about. It's a, as always a lively and exciting conversation with the homie Rappo. And then the Ringer's own Allison Herman is on with us to talk about a story that's published to theRinger.com right now. It went up last week, and and her story: How New York Times cooking. That is a website unto itself. How New York Times cooking became the best comment section on the internet. It's a great story. And Allison does a lot of cooking herself, which is how she found her way to the cooking site. We talk a little bit about what's going on in her kitchen. In fact, let's just jump right in and walk into Allison's kitchen right now. All right, my taste buds on the line right now. I have Allison Herman. She is a staff writer for The Ringer. She posted a story to theringer.com last week. The story, how New York Times cooking became the best comment section on the internet. I love the story. I invited Allison to come on. And so here she is. I'm so hey, thrilled Allison. to be here. How's it going? <laughs> so I... I, I uh, I mentioned to you a little while ago, this has been a long time coming. I've been uh, an admirer of your work for a long time. You wrote a piece on uh, Sabine Nosrat and and her book uh, and her her series, uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, that I really enjoyed. And you also have this reputation that I became aware of just recently of being perhaps the most prolific baker in the Ringer office. First of all, let's begin there. Is, Is it true? I mean, it's how I keep my job security. (laughs) I just bribe everyone with sugar. Yeah, that's right. The pathway to the boss's heart is chocolate chip cookies. Now, what what what's your? Do you have a specialty? 
I do like to kind of uh, experiment with different versions of a lot of classics. Like, um, I don't want to call it lunch because it's not really a meal. But before I left the house today, I actually had a couple of there's a wonderful Bon Appetit recipe for chocolate chip cookies that have brown butter and toffee in them. Oh, my God. They are extremely good. I even ordered um, some, you know, pretty absurdly expensive special like chocolate coins off the Internet because I couldn't find them in a grocery store. So I guess I'm pretty dedicated to the craft of baking, even if I'm not amazing at it. (laughs) Well, that's the whole point. And honestly, it's a beautiful segue into this really interesting story that went up last week that you wrote. Uh, and I I don't want to do the Joe House version of the story. I want to let you, in the first place, kind of give the synopsis of it. Uh, and then I have a bunch of questions for you. So tell let's tell all the taste buds out there what the story's about. Sure. I mean, I'm a pretty passionate home cook, as are a few other colleagues at The Ringer. And it almost became a joke, like when we would share recipes with one another, that New York Times Cooking, which is a standalone site that they've had since 2014, and now it's a subscription service, you can pay $5 a month to get access to their enormous archive. I would always joke that, you know, it's the only good comment section on the internet. And in practice, what that means is it's the only comment section I can think of that, like, I actively seek out. Like, before I test out a recipe, Uh, They have a note section underneath every recipe card, and I always scroll down to see, you know, was this successful? Was there a a tweak or an adaptation that a lot of people did that they also really enjoyed? Are there any suggestions? And I always factor that into account when I decide exactly how I'm going to prepare the recipe. And my editor, because she's good at her job, (laughs) uh, suggested that I turn this into something that we could publish on the site. And so I reached out to a few people who were involved in making this, you know, amazing, useful tool. And I talked to them about why that is. And as it turns out, it's, it's a very intentional part of the site and its design. Well, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's be a little more explicit. You didn't just talk to some people involved, like you talked to some effing heavy hitters in the food <laughs> in the food journalism world. I mean, you you, you have Sam Sifton uh, from the New York Times. You have Melissa Clark from the New York Times and then Allison Roman, who, you know, th- these are these are people that have uh, achieved some acclaim in the in the food writing world, both by way of cookbooks and, and you know, um, uh, recipe sharing in their own right, but also just, you know, enriching the overall, uh, uh, you know, food consuming world that we that we um, have available to us because of, of the work that they do. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. I was a little blase about it, but I was very much starstruck. I've been reading Sam Sifton. You know, I remember when he was the on-staff restaurant critic for The New York Times. I use Melissa Clark's recipes all the time. I mentioned this in the piece, but, you know, Alison Roman lately has gotten a lot of press because she has this viral chickpea stew recipe, and I've made it several times at this point. I've made the cookies. I've made various, you know, non-viral recipes of hers that don't have hashtags yet, although maybe they will. Wait, wait, wait. What's the recipe that has the hashtag? Oh, you haven't heard about this? So there's the the chickpea stew is known as hashtag the stew. These uh, chocolate chunk shortbread cookies that she made are that as part of her dining in cookbook are known as hashtag the cookies. Those are the two big ones. And then there are a lot of other recipes from dining in, but no, none of them have had like that level of viral traction just yet. And where, where, what do you attribute the the virality to? Where, where, why are they so popular? There was actually a really great story about this on Vox recently. Um, okay. Shout per- out Vox. 
uh, shout out Eater. They're they're our our pals. We have lots of uh, uh, co-minglings with them. Oh, yeah. They're great websites. But, you know, they talk a lot about how they're very simple recipes. Like the cookies are basically just a pretty inventive spin on a basic chocolate chip cookie. But they're very, like, recognizable to a home cook. Same with the chickpea stew. It's a simple recipe. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it is that they they look very appetizing. The chickpea stew is uh, seasoned with turmeric, so it has that like beautiful yellow color. And when you garnish it oh, with like yeah. some yogurt and some mint, you get a little contrast oh. going. So it looks good, and a lot of people share it. And also, Allison Roman herself is very good at, at using Instagram to um, she uses the stories function to like regram people who make the recipe. So when yeah. something starts to get a little traction you know it because she starts reposting it and then that in turn makes you think like, oh, maybe I should try it and then you post it and then you become part of the phenomenon. So, but uh, the the stew is on NYT Cooking and there's a very, very active conversation going on in the notes section on that post. Yeah, so let, let's sort of talk about that. There are two aspects of the story that jumped out at, at me um, that I'm interested in sort of your take on and when they re- the, the conversations you had with these folks, the the Sam Sifton talked about the notes being a, a two way street. That you know the the idea is a, a recipe um, sort of gets gets posted, and then that interactive element where folks are, for whatever reason, um, incented not to um, be snarky and not to 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 make you know uh, bring bring to the comment to the section. Uh, observations that are reflective of whatever's going on in their day, but instead to be constructive, that um, it takes a recipe uh, and and turns it into a, like this organic, growing, living, um, breathing um, organism. I guess is the right way to say it. Um, is that is that uh, the the sort of uh, did I capture it right? Yeah, that feels like a, a fair description of what it is. And it was interesting to hear like all the various contributing factors to that. I mean, Sifton was very, you know, I call it a common section because that's what it's analogous to in terms of like other spaces on the internet. But Sifton was very clear with me that he does not think of them as comments. He calls them notes, which sounds like a minor semantic thing. But I do think he's right in that comments implies like, give me your um, additional opinion to like whatever is posted above. And notes has to do like very specifically with the thing that is being, for lack of a better word, like commented upon. You know, you're supposed to do like a, a minor adjustment, but it's supposed to be very relevant to the to the topic at hand. And then the other side of it is also, you know, it's not entirely a coincidence that the community is as pragmatic as it is. It's very heavily moderated, which a lot of sites on the internet no longer have either the resources or the inclination or what have you to do as attentively as the New York Times does. And one of the criteria they use for moderation is they don't really allow comments that indicate that they haven't prepared a recipe, which even means like, even if it's something nice, but it's just like, this looks good, maybe I'll make it later. That's not really adding anything to the discussion. It's just an expression of your opinion. So they try to weed out stuff like that because they're also aware that there are readers like me who go to the note section to see what other people are saying about the recipe and they don't want those readers to be turned off because they don't see anything constructive in that part of the site. So I'm very glad that you mentioned all of this because this is the other aspect of the story that jumped out at me and that I was so curious about. It's a big 
uh, forum. There are like 120,000 subscribers, I think you say. Um, so, so people getting in there and offering up, uh, opinions and, you know, hitting, uh, you know, post that, that happens with a frequency on, on the recipes that if you're going to really do this sort of, uh, moderation, this sort of curated enforcement, um, deal, you got to be on the ball and that it's like consumes genuine human resources to do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it is automated. Like if you use one of Carlin's seven words, you're not making it to that stage. But yeah, they, they do dedicate like significant resources. I think the Times as a whole has a whole community desk. And uh, the person I spoke to, his name is Aiden Gardner. He's not full time on cooking, but cooking is like a significant part of his daily duties. In addition to, you know, the latest story about Trump. And it was actually really interesting to talk to him. He was sort of uniquely situated to say, like, this is what commenters tend to try to say when they're reacting to a piece of national news. And it tends to be people airing out their opinions and kind of exercising their inner demons. <laughs> and uh, when people try to comment or leave notes on recipes, they tend to try to be a resource to other readers, which was really interesting. Yeah, so I'm going to put you uh, on the spot a little bit, if you'll indulge it. Sure. Um, as, a, as a person that, um, you know, is an avid consumer, literally, of, of the content on this site, let's share. I just had Adam Rappaport on from Bon Appetit, and we were talking winter palate, winter recipes, and he gave out some great suggestions. I want to know what's going on in the Allison Herman test kitchen here in the in the first couple months of 2019. Oh, I actually had um, my big cooking project this past weekend was I tried uh, Smitten Kitchen's kind of variation on Galbi Jim, the uh, Korean oh. short rib stew. Yes. Uh, I have an instant pot, which is wonderful for like very winter centric stuff like stews and stocks and what have you. And this was kind of an exciting opportunity to test it out. And also, because I live in Los Angeles, I have ready access to a lot of Asian in general, but specifically Korean grocery stores. So, okay. So, let, well, we're not going to let it end there. Let's go ahead and give the taste buds a little bit of, of flavor in, in two different ways. In the first place, I want you to walk through some of the basic ingredients that go in, because we don't presume uh, anybody listening to House of Carbs knows anything about food. Because the host doesn't know anything about food, <laughs> so we'll do we'll do some of the ingredients to 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 just to turn on everybody's appetites for the Golby Gym, which I have had many times and I absolutely adore. But the other thing that I'm going to insist on don't don't tell me you didn't take a picture. I did, but it's not a very photogenic dish. <laughs> yeah, well, it's ugly delicious is what David Chang calls uh, the, this kind of thing. We're, we'll let the, 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 the beauty be in the eye of the beholder. So we there will be photographic evidence, and we'll get that up on our Instagram at the House of Carbs, and you'll get a photo credit for that, Allison, of course. But let's let's talk about the crucial elements of the, of the Golby Gym. Or actually, let's just talk about how you made it. What did you put in yours? Sure. I mean, I was pretty faithful to uh, Deb Perelman's uh, original recipe just because the first time I try something out, I do it pretty to the letter and then I kind of like adjust it depending on my taste. But I want to, you know, go according to the recipe writer's original vision like the first time out. But yeah, it's actually like relatively simple. So it's a short rib based stew. So you just put in short ribs and then the vegetables, which you add a little later. She used uh, carrots and daikon. I swapped it out 
for potatoes because I'm sure you've had the version at Sunungdan that is so avidly recommended by many people affiliated with The Ringer. But that version has carrots, potatoes, and uh, rice cakes. So I didn't have rice cakes, but I kept it otherwise faithful to that. And then the sauce, which is kind of where the magic happens, is pretty simple. It's soy sauce, some mirin, the sweet rice wine, onion pear, which is an interesting, like, sweeter note. Uh, some gochujang, which is the Korean chili paste. Yes. And uh, some garlic, some ginger. I'm probably forgetting a couple of the rest, uh, other ingredients, but those are the main ones. And, and you just literally like put it in a blender and just pour it over. And then you let the Instant Pot go for like 45 minutes or however. And hopefully it's it's all good. <laughs> so Danny Chow has a, a reputation for loving the heat. In fact, he... he uh, has previously challenged me to to sit down and see who can take things hotter, and I, I flat out refused to do that with him because I, I, at this stage of life, uh, uh, really cherish my scalp. But h- how about your sort of flavor profile? How hot do you did 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 you end up with this? Because you you can really affect the spice level of this um, stew with how much of the paste that you put in. You can. I would never presume my, presume to put myself on the same level as Danny Chow in spice tolerance and many other things. But uh, I actually put like a, I think I just put a little more than a teaspoon in the original sauce mix, which I actually thought was like not as hot as I would originally want it. But yeah. per Deb's suggestion, I literally just kept the tub of gochujang like next to me while I was eating. And I would kind of like take a small knife full and just slather it across the the bite in front of me at any given point. So yes. I'm pretty uh, heat tolerant, heat uh, enthusiastic. But yes. yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I, I'm this exact same way. I love heat enthusiastic. We're heat enthusiasts, we're, but we're not uh, heat maniacs. That the way that, that Danny is. I mean, the reverie that he sent himself into with the Nashville hot chicken um, uh, almost makes me not want to try any of the Nashville hot chicken that, that he experienced. I've had Helen uh, Ray's in Los Angeles, but I settled at like a solid medium on the spice level. I think that's right. You're a normal human being. You want to you want to enjoy it and just sort of, you know, you don't need to be uh, sent into chicken sweats that take a full 48 hours to recover from. That's fair. Uh, well, Allison Herman, uh, this has been terrific. Thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to the next time you jump into the, the, the food uh, arena. Do you have anything cooking, so to speak? That's a terrible pun. <laughs> Not right now, but I'll keep an eye out. Yeah, so give us a heads up so you can come back on and we can talk about um, what, what what you uh, have next in the in the in the food world. We can't wait to have you back again. Thank you so much for having me. Harvey homies, how about Allison Herman? I can't wait to have her on more often. That was a a, a terrific revelation. Her her fruit food stories have caught my eye. I enjoy them. And now she's coming on every time she's available. And then that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, before we get to my boy Rappo, how about a nice word from our good friends at Hotel Tonight? This winter, my famished friends, is a great time to check out Hotel Tonight. Whether you are looking for a spontaneous ski trip or escape to a warm beach, Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book a room with one of their last-minute deals. It is uh, a long weekend coming up, President's Day weekend. How about jumping on Hotel Tonight? There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there 
just waiting to be booked. And that's how Hotel Tonight is getting such great rates, incredible rates. They're teaming up with these awesome hotels to help them sell their rooms and they're pay- passing the savings along to you. And these are not last resort type of hotels. Hotel Tonight is working with cool top rated hotels that you want to stay at. Unlike other travel companies, you do not have to scroll through endless lists of hotels. Hotel Tonight is showing you the best deals at great hotels along with very short but very efficient information-heavy profiles that have pictures and all the info you need. Even though the name is Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can go ahead and play things by ear if that's your way. Or you can go ahead and use Hotel Tonight to book in advance. And when you join their perks program, it's called Hotel Tonight's HT Perks Program. The more you book, the better the deals you're going to get. To start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. All right, Taste Buds, very, very pleased. This is an old friend of House of Carbs, one of our very first guests. We can't get off on the right foot with 2019 without hearing what this man has on his stove and in his oven. You know him as the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit, among other things. Adam Rappaport, what is happening? Joe House, how you doing? Hi, buddy. So, uh... I looked at the calendar to see when last year we convened for some comparing of notes about the winter palette. And to my amazement and uh, overwhelming enjoyment, it was February the 13th, 2018. We published a show uh, treating everybody to your insights into the 2018 winter palette. And I think we also threw in a little bit of last minute Valentine's day advice. And I think we might've talked a little super bowl. Also, I believe it is the, uh, uh, guidance from the universe that we needed to reconvene today to cover off again, all those important topics, as well as a few other topics that I think, uh, folks will get a kick out of listening to. Uh, all right, let's do this. What do we got? What are we starting with? Well, let's start with this. You, 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 um, avid House of Carbs consumer. It's a you're you're listening to this show either late night Wednesday night February the thirteenth or early morning February the fourteenth, and you may or may not uh, have something lined up for your loved one in terms of a of a meal. What are we telling that this this person to do? Um. All right. So. You're either going out or staying in, obviously. Tomorrow night, Simone and I are going out. But wow. if you don't have reservations by now, you're screwed, all right, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And even if I'm, I'm generally not a proponent of going out on New Year, on Valentine's, because, like, you're always getting, like, you know, they, they hit you with, like, the prefix, and it's so much more than you normally spend. And, you know, I don't want, like, the champagne with the strawberry in it. And, you know, it's always, like, the weird, the chocolate triple decadent dessert and yada, yada, yada. So I generally stay away from like the Valentine's Day restaurants. What I want to do is I want to go out and have fun. So 
I'm either thinking of like, what is that great dive bar that maybe we used to go to and hook up at like before we were even married, you know, that has like the great burgers. You can have a bunch of drinks. You can actually have a fun time without like the pressure of romantic night. I'm doing air quotes right now. Yeah. Um, and like, oh yeah, you go out and you're like, oh, that was actually super fun. And we had a great time and we got drunk together and we ate some good food. And it's like, yeah, that's that should be the aim of the night, you know. But this notion of having to get dressed up and going to like the restaurant that has like high marks and Zagat, like I don't know, that just sounds it sounds so predictable and often not fun because you're kind of getting rushed in and rushed out, and they've got seatings and yada yada. And I don't know, not a fan of that. So either go to a fun dive bar that we've hit up, or in New York, I think like, there's a cup, there's a lot of great Chinatown restaurants where you can bring your own wine, for instance. Oh so yeah, like a pay, go to like. Go to like Peking Duck House, bring a couple awesome bottles of like natural wine that we're into these days, BYO, have a great meal, ha- get your drink on, but again, sort of skirting that sort of like the, the Valentine's Day machine. I love it. Now, the, the two, two thoughts uh, that, that, that come to mind. In, in the first place, I, w- I was surprised you didn't say, um, well, you just cook at home. Uh, and here are three easy recipes you can prepare. But maybe you, you're getting to that. Maybe I jumped you a little bit on that. I could do that. Well, my, my feeling is if you're cooking at home, and I was writing about this for a um, my newsletter at, at Bon Appetit recently, um, like, A, you know, weeknight cooking is a challenge because if you've got a day job, and especially if your spouse has a day job, then you're like, all right, who's doing the shopping when? What time are we both getting home? Um, so I, it's kind of, unless you're already on top of it a day ahead, you've got to be cook something that's relatively quick. Um, and when I think of that, you know, I always think about buy a good piece of protein, whether it's a beautiful bone-in, well-marbled pork chop, a steak, etc. that you salt, pepper, hit it in a hot pan, maybe finish it with a little butter and herbs and garlic, slice that to order. You've got a beautiful salad that's easy to quick to throw together. Maybe while you've got the, the you know, the pork chop or the steak on the stovetop, you've got some potatoes roasting in the oven. But again, you don't want anything that is going to take too long to cook. And you don't want anything that's going to require you to go to three different markets to buy the ingredients, you know? Yeah, we're, um, we're especially, up. You can't... Especially, especially if... Especially if you're not a super experienced cook, don't don't try to do the fancy thing that you've never done before on, on Valentine's. Because then you're eating like at ten o'clock, and you're stressed out, and your wife or girlfriend is ready to kill you. And that's like that should not be the aim. I I have done that before. My hand is up. Twenty years ago, I did that. Uh, it was a one time lesson learned. But I think the the true message from from both of of your observations here: don't overcomplicate it. And I like very much, you know, the the whole point of doing the Zagat rated and having, you know, uh, putting in the time to try and have a great sit down meal at a at a, an acclaimed restaurant. That's what the rest of the year is for. That's what all 364 other days of the year are for. Get that restaurant in its natural environment, and it's when its normal sort of rhythm is is in place. Not this highly, uh, 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 you know, contrived, super, it's it's like a Broadway, it's like a Broadway production on on Valentine's and the waiters don't like it. And it's just, yeah, it's it's like the least optimal time to go. And And also when you're cooking at home, the better the ingredients, typically the less you have to do to them. So if you buy a really beautiful steak, a really beautiful pork chop, again, Salt and pepper in a, in a pan. It's, that's kind of all you should be doing. It. You don't have to do a lot. Yeah, that my my vibe for that, and this is right up my alley. 
it's a it's a beautiful piece of like uh, um, big eye tuna, and then it's arugula oh, exactly. and yeah. parmesan, and it's three bottles mm. of white wine because of the whole point here is we're going to enjoy ourselves. Yeah. But like I'm going to sear this tuna, we're going to have a little arugula, and then we're going to and we're going to drink the whole way through. Yeah, beautiful tuna, beautiful wild salmon. If you can get it, spend the extra money because you're also not spending that on going out, which is always going to be more expensive. So yeah. buy the good ingredients. And I also love like with, with with my wife Simone, like some of the most fun that we have is while we're just sort of hanging out in the kitchen during that cooking process. Yeah, um, where you're kind of chopping, you're getting things ready, you're drinking the white wine. It's not a lot of fun. If you're in the kitchen, you're like, hold on, baby, I, I got to read this recipe. Wait, wait, oh, wait, oh, so, oh, damn, I forgot. Wait, wait, where's the measuring spoon? Like, if, if it's that thing where you're doing the recipe for the first time and you're stressed about it, like, what should be the most fun part of the evening becomes the least fun part of the evening. Yeah, well, that, that that's it. As usual, we're a couple OGs. So all we're doing is, wait, is wait. for – go ahead. I didn't, one more I, piece of advice. I don't want to get into, please. like, the doctor the, – the, I don't want to get into the Dr. Love, like, uh, scenario here, but – if you're looking, if the aim of the evening for you youngsters is some extracurriculars after dinner, maybe you don't want the super heavy, super cheesy, creamy sort of day. You know, you don't want to be passed out by by eight forty five. Yeah, that's right. Uh, avoid the bloat. Don't go bloat. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. I mean, a couple of OGs who've been doing this sort of thing for a, for a long time uh, take Rappo's advice. I chimed in with a couple uh, little I- I observations of my own. You could take my advice or not. Do whatever you want. If you have a reservation at a great restaurant, please go enjoy yourself. I, I hope it's a wonderful time. But this is for the last minute kind of folks um, of whom I, I often fall into, into the category. All right. So, look, uh, winter palette it's winter 2019 um you just successfully executed a beautiful super bowl spread i watched it on instagram um and i think that had a lot of the flavor profile of some stuff that you want to talk about um, but you also have a handful of recipes from uh the current ba bon appetit magazine that, that are worth sharing with some taste buds let's talk about those items yeah, so in my mind, whether it's 2019 or whatever century you are in, if it's February, it's braising season. And I think, like, the most braisable meat, uh, the anchor of any great winter meal uh, is pork shoulder. Pork shoulder or pork butt, we can talk about the differences but and the similarities. But that big hunk of pork that can go in the oven for hours and slowly cook and become melting and tender and fall apart and fragrant, um, it's the, the return on investment is so high and it's so hard to screw up um, that I, it's one of those cuts of meat that I keep finding myself and we at Bon Appetit returning to year after year after year. Um, it, 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 it's, it's a go-to cut that everyone should have in their arsenal. So I believe that this was the centerpiece of your Super Bowl spread. Do I have it right? Yeah. Yeah. So what I did for Super Bowl, um, I made uh, – your boy David Chang's Bosom. Oh, which, yeah. If you haven't made Bosom, it's kind of the best thing ever. And again, it's so easy. So, what you're doing is you're getting either a pork shoulder or a pork butt. And the only difference is so it's taken from the front leg of the pig. Um, the pork butt is higher up towards the neck. And so, it's more of like a square cut. There, there is a bone in there, but that whereas the pork shoulder is a little bit lower connected to the top of the leg. But either cut, it's a, it's a big cut. 
typically bone in, although you can find it boneless as well. Lots of intramuscular intramuscular fat, which as you cook it slowly breaks down and becomes luscious and tender. Uh, fat on the outside. A lot of the times you'll find pork shoulder, the lower cut will also have skin on the outside, uh, which is like typically when they barbecue it and you get like, you know, pulled pork and whatnot. Um, but either way, what Chang does and what's sort of a bow on, which is classic, you take that big chunk of, of, of pork, eight to 10 pounds, bone in if you can find it. And you basically just coat it with a lot equal parts, sugar and salt. And just mm. Coat it all over, cover it, put it in a bowl and stick it in the fridge overnight. And, does and it does, does it be, matter which kind of sugar? Brown sugar versus white sugar versus granulated versus? I, I like the question, Joe. The initial sugaring because there's enough. There's a second sugaring is white sugar. So it's literally one one cup salt, one cup sugar. Coat all over. Put away the excess. Cover it up. Stick it in the fridge. Um, and then when you're ready to cook it a day later, uh, 300 oven, uncovered, and you cook it for about six hours until it really starts to uh, sort of collapse on itself almost um, to the point where you can just take two forks and shred it. Uh, And you can do this ahead of time, take it out about an hour in advance. Um, And then this last step I would say is, you know, somewhat optional, but before you serve it, you coat the top again with brown sugar, uh, which gets nice and caramelly and a little bit of salt and put that back in a 500 degree oven. So the top gets all sort of caramelly and bubbly and and just like fragrant and delicious. Uh, And you take out this big piece of pork. And then meanwhile, you've got the ginger scallion sauce going, which we talked about on a previous episode about Korean barbecue, uh, and that's super simple. It's scallions, it's ginger, uh, a neutral oil like grapeseed or vegetable oil, a bit of soy sauce, a bit of vinegar. Um, that's it. And, so and you good. Spoon that on. To, so you good. You got the shredded pork. You got your lettuce leaves. Uh, if you have like bib lettuce or butter lettuce, you put a little pork in there. You put a little ginger scallion, which you made, which you make extra because you're going to want it around. Um, I, then I always like to buy some kimchi for the side. You put in a little kimchi. And then if you want, you have got a pot of white rice there, and you put that in there. Or if you're like us, Joe, if you're like, you know, guys of a certain age who are trying to be all lean and mean, you're like, no, no, I'm good with the carbs. I don't need the carbs. I'm just going to go with the pork and the other stuff. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and uh, the, 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 the rice, I like having it there for when i might get a hankering you know come come like i still i'm i, I don't know about you at, the, at my advanced age i'm going to confess this i don't know you, you don't have to confess if you don't want i still do a midnight snack sometimes i still oh, the, yeah. i'm watching the nba late games sometimes and uh, and and it's it's like 12 15 and there's the fourth quarter is about to get started i'm like i got to eat something <laughs> so that's why i might do I, some I, some rice at that moment with the pork because I want I want that coating. You know what I mean? I want a little bit yeah. of coating. I want well, pure protein at that point. I I generally am a big white rice guy, and I love it to offset anything spicy or oily. Um, this time, however, at the Super Bowl, for like hors d'oeuvre hour, app, appies, my brother Andy made um, – Shake Shack cheese sauce, which you can find recipes online at Munchies and stuff. And it's basically kind of like a white cheddar-y cream sauce that you simmer with like chopped up chilies and whatnot. Um, it's like amazing queso. So we had a big bowl of this hot molten Shake Shack cheese sauce. And then next to it, a platter of super hot, fresh out the oven, crispy tater tots. So I was just sitting there 
grabbing a tot, dip, put it in my mouth, grabbing a tot, dip. And I, so I think I had about 37 of those. So by the time it was Bosom hour at halftime, I was like, okay, I need, need to take a break. So I was less craving the carbs as much as I typically do. No, uh, you, 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 you carved out. You, it really was a house of carbs. Well done. I'm very proud of you. Um, one, one thing I love about this season is we're, we're talking about how you prepared that meal for, for a Super Bowl gathering, but this really is, there is a stretch like from New Year's up until about, I don't know when, some sometime in, in April it feels like, where um, if you're on the East Coast or up in uh, you know the Midwest uh, along the lakes or something where you're just sort of shut in, dinner parties are, are, are a, like the th- part of the way to have something to look forward to at the end of the week because you can't think about, I'm going to go outside and do these fun things, these outdoor activities. And so just getting together with friends and having a meal. And I think that the, the, what you're describing, I, so we're using the Super Bowl party I, idea, but it's really like, this is a, a dinner party, a winter into spring dinner party centerpiece that, 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 you know, you can run all the way up until, you know, the thermometer gets above uh, 50 degrees again. Yeah, and what I like about pork shoulder and pork butt is that again they're they're so forgiving. Um, you can kind of put them in the oven or a sock pot or you know Dutch oven and whatnot, um, and you don't have to cook them that minute for the for the table as you're sitting down. You're not making risotto or something, which means you're standing over the stove for 21 minutes exactly. So it's creamy and al dente. It's like, yeah, it's in there for five or six hours. It can rest on top of the stove for a while. If you want to put it back in to, to broil the top, boom, you can do that. But you can basically get all that work done ahead of time. So when your friends do come over for the game or for dinner or whatnot, the house smells amazing. You've already done the hard work. Uh, you've got your ginger scallion and whatnot ready to go. Um, so that that that's another reason why I love this type of cooking. Yeah, me too. Now I, I want to. We're going to move on to the next recipe, but I want to ask you one crucial uh, item. And I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not here to call Andy out, but I am interested. These tater tots. What mm. brand were they? Where did they come from? That's a really good question. Well, he was making them. He was making them in his toaster oven because I guess that's because the pork was in the regular oven. Um, so that's one thing. I I'm going to assume like Orita. Um, okay. Okay. And they were sure. They were they were they were good. However, um, you sometimes you'll go to bars like there's a good bar in the West Village here in New York called Daddio's, which is where I first had them. But frozen tater tots that they deep fry, so they yeah. get super crunchy and crispy, right. and they salt them, and th- that's like that's so good. Like th- I, I know you typically aren't going to want to deal with deep frying at home, and you can approximate it, get close enough in a nice hot oven. But if you can do that, it's just like oh my god, like good night and good luck. It's so that, tasty. Yeah, it takes them to a whole other level. That that you don't have to have a, a massive deep fryer for that exercise either, because the t- tots are small. You can do a few batches, and bam. All your tots are whipped up, whipped up and ready for action. Yeah, you can do that in a high-sided stock pot with a bunch of oil. And for something like that, which are great, which everyone should have, um, are those Asian-style spiders, uh, which are those sort of like wood-handled 
like little baskets, like a, a clamshell at the, at the bottom that sort of looks like a wiry basket. Um, and you, you can dip that into oh, you know, deep frying and like you scoop out the tater tots or if you're making pasta, short pasta, it's great for scooping those out. Um, it's like a more sort of operational version of a slotted spoon. Um, and you can get those at any sort of, you know, kitchen supply store, but uh, yeah, spiders as they call them in restaurant parlance, but that's a great kitchen tool to have for anything deep frying. Yeah, there you go. Bonus kitchen tool recommendation add-on here on House of Carbs, uh, February 2019. Rappo always bringing the goods. All right, my friend, let's talk about um, something because you know the the part of the winter and 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 navigating it for us East Coasters, we 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 need to see something on the table that's bright that has some vibrancy to it because especially when you know pork shoulder is exactly what what you're sort of. Uh, subconscious craves it fits like the color of it's like the color palette of of the winter um let's talk about something that's that's got some vibrancy to it well yeah so you know anytime you have something unctuous and rich and 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 gut filling you want something to balance it that's kind of bracing and crisp and acidic um so I was making recently another pork soda recipe from Bon Appetit, uh, pork in milk, or in Italian, maiale a latte. Uh, it's like a pork latte. Uh, and, and there you're, you're, you're browning the pork on all sides, putting it back in the pot with garlic, sage, some lemon peel, some chilies, and you pour milk in the pot. Uh, typically, I think a lot of people are used to braising with wine or stock. Um, here, the lactic acids in the milk kind of help break down the pork as it cooks. And then the milk, as it's cooking, gets all, it kind of cooks down and gets all curdled and like little crispy, buttery bits. And that becomes the sauce for the browned braised pork that you kind of slice and pull apart and you spoon this sort of brown butter sort of sauce all over it. Um, and that is so, so good. And that's a classic Italian dish. And, but you can find that recipe on bonappetit.com. Um, yeah, maiale, M A I A L E. Latte, uh, or um, just milk braised pork. Let, let, let me um, quick take you on a on a on a tangent. What about yeah. um, folks that may have uh, allergies for for cow's milk? Is there a, a, a dairy alternative for that? Is it possible, or do you really need the cow's milk because of the the um, constituent elements uh, present? You know, the, you're talking about lactic acid that's present in, in regular old cow's milk. Um, yeah, I mean, I would just say if, if you're going to do that, I would just braise it as you would regularly. Like, So after you've browned the meat and any veg or whatnot that you're putting in there, you just fill, you put the, the big hunks of meat back into a pot and you fill it up halfway with, I would always use a combination of either like white wine and chicken stock. Um, or oh, okay. Red wine if you want, but typically white wine with pork. Yeah, you don't have to use milk. Like I said, this is a, a, a sort of a traditional Italian dish. Um, and obviously if you're kosher, this is like, this is doubly not kosher. You've got like the <laughs> pork in the milk. <laughs> so, well, I was wondering about something like you, almond milk. Could you think you could get a, you know, because there are so many different no, varieties. No, no, no. no. And the no, same would be no, true of soy no. milk, not, no soy milk, right? No, okay. No, not going right. there, yeah. All right, just wonder. Yeah, I mean, so you sorry. have a you have literally a test kitchen where you could test things out there. I didn't know if somebody because you 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 have we're a lot of test that out. you have a lot of clean eaters in there at, at, at uh, Bon Appetit. It's not necessarily the case. I thought maybe somebody might have tried a different variation. That's all. Well, no. To be to be honest with you, like we have like so we've got this great little coffee station in our test kitchen here at the World Trade Center. The guys from Stumptown hooked us up with a beautiful La Mazzarco, um uh, espresso machine, and we got beans from Stumptown, and it is fascinating how many people have that so many different milk choices 
for their their coffee in the morning or afternoon. And yeah, we've got the soy milk, we've got the almond milk, we have the whole milk. Um, but I think there's a time and place for everything where it might make sense with your coffee. It doesn't necessarily make sense with a dish like this. Yeah, um, sure, you know, sure. There's also sure. Like things like. I, I love whole wheat flours and multigrain flours and bread. It's more of a challenge when you try to make pizza crust with those because you don't get the yeasty gaping holes and whatnot. Um, so it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively health-minded guy, and I'm also pretty open-minded in terms of ingredients. It just gets tough when you try to sort of, you know, uh, circle into a square peg or whatever that saying is. To- to- yeah, no, totally. Know where things work. Absolutely. I totally agree. I, I And I'm not uh, advocating for one thing over the other thing. I just didn't know how malleable, like some, some recipes yeah. do can, can accommodate, you know, some, some different elements that way. I didn't know if this was one of those recipes. It's not. So do the milk, have milk with pork. It's effing delicious. I got it. It was a good question. Okay, so all right, so we got our pork and milk and the little crispy bits of like the the milky stuff all over it, and shredded pork and the ha- halved uh, cloves of garlic, heads of garlic. Um, so yeah, what do you serve with that? What I love to do in the wintertime when, you know, you're not going to the farmer's market. There's not beautiful tomatoes and all these summer fruits and avocados and everything around. Um, I love a celery salad. So what I will do is buy a bunch of celery. Um, I will, if you haven't, if you're a person who likes to use a mandolin, then great, use your mandolin. Otherwise, just get a cutting board and a nice sharp knife and slice it really thin, sort of on the bias, as we say, just on an angle. So you get like a big bowl full of all the little sort of like, not quite shavings, but little coins, celery coins. Yeah. Um, Use that, slice that up, take the celery leaves because those are so flavorful. Pull those apart, throw them in a bowl. Then I'll get a bunch of. uh, Are they flavorful? Oh yes, yeah. Celery they're not. Are the best. They're not just b- so, bitter. No, no, no. Yeah. When you mix them with other things, yeah, you uh, definitely want the celery leaves. Okay. Then I'll take a bunch of uh, flat leaf parsley, take the stems off, throw the parsley in there. So I've got celery, celery leaves, parsley. Um, what I like to do sometimes, depends, especially with a shot of color, is thinly slice some radishes, uh, throw those in there. Um, and then if you can get a nice tart crisp apple like a Granny Smith, you slice that up. So you got your, your thinly sliced apples, your radishes, your celery, little parsley. Um, I like to then chop up some almonds and toast them in the oven around you know 400 degrees for about 10 minutes. Uh, you toss it all together with a nice bright bracing dressing. I like to use rice wine and a little bit of olive oil and salt. Um, and it's such a good winter salad in that it cuts through the richness of that pork, bright, crisp flavors, and you don't, it's all ingredients that you can find year round, especially in the wintertime in the middle of a grocery store. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. does not, doesn't require any sort of anything special, nothing farm fresh. It's like, these are basic ingredients that go great together. So I, I have this question for you, uh, and I, I want to know whether or not um, you have the same experience. Part of what you're describing is so appealing to me because it it ends up being like, several mouthfuls of these giant crunchy bites. And I don't mean that um, Mm. you have to stuff your mouth full to make it giant. I just mean it's not tiny dicings, right? Um, These are, these are mouthfuls. You're, you're, you have to power through the, 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 the crunch of the the cashews or the almonds, whatever your nut choice might be. The apple bites are are chunky and crunchy. Celery's always got a great crunch to it. I like that radish vibe very much. Um, and I just find it so satisfying. Yeah, and all those ingredients work 
together, but you taste each one separately as you're eating the salad, which is really neat. So it's harmonious, but also individually, each star shines through. Um, for the dressing, like my sort of go-to dressing, which I stole from my wife, is you mince up a shallot, put it in a bowl, pour it over with rice wine vinegar and some salt, and just let it sit there for about 15 minutes while you're doing other stuff. And, and, the, and the shallots then become a little bit pickled almost. Mm. And they sort of lose that sort of like oniony bite. Yeah. Um, to that, I will then beat in the olive oil. I love a really acidic dressing because I think it, it goes really well with like sort of strong ingredients like this and also the pork. So I'll do almost like one-to-one. So if it's like Three tablespoons uh, vinegar, I'll do three tablespoons olive oil. You can obviously do more and, and taste it as you go. Um, and that's it. That's all you need for your dressing. It's super simple. And then also, one other thing I'll throw in this celery salad, which I kind of surprised myself because I don't understand why I like it. <laughs> I'll throw in some yellow raisins. And I hate oh. raisins, but oh. for some reason, they go well with all these crispy, crunchy things. And I'll take the raisins and I'll just soak them for a little bit in some water or vinegar if you want. And that sort of plumps them up and softens them up. And then I toss it in there. So sometimes it's nice when you get like the sweet, the salty, the acidic, the crunchy. And again, it's that sort of harmo- that harmony of all these individuals working together. It's like, it's like the Golden State Warriors, like when five individuals are on the floor together acting working as one and, and that's why i love this salad yeah well you you've got you know it's you've got your some of your building blocks blocks from uh Samin nosrat salt fat acid heat i mean you know yeah. you got two two she out of the she's doing, apparently <laughs> it seems like it seems like she might know what she's doing so that's a beautiful uh uh winter meal that we've prepared do you uh, any other recipes to call out to folks um, those are some great ones. I had a newsletter this week where I was doing, um, uh, I guess you would call it sort of chicken under a brick where you take the, the butterfly flat chicken, you put it in a skillet and you sort of weight it down and put it in the oven. Um, somehow I totally screwed it up. It was like my, as my friend Gabe D T said, it's not rocket science when I asked him for advice and he was like at the Grammys or something. Um, <laughs> and he didn't give me any advice. And I, I put the, I, this is one thing like men will do. I hate to generalize, but I'm like, I don't need a recipe. I got this. And like, I should have, I should have read the recipe. I had the oven on, not hot enough. I didn't get the pan hot enough. I did so many things wrong. And I, I, it's like not asking for directions, you know, back in the day before we had GPS, you're like, no, no, I know where I'm going. Um, and I didn't know where I was going and I totally screwed it up, but I learned my lesson, but that's another sort of great wintry dish where, yeah, you got the super hot oven, the super hot pan, you lay the chicken down there, it gets super crispy. Um, and then you take it out and you make a pan sauce. You put in some shallots, some white wine, you stir it up, a little butter and mm, that's delicious. Um, though, you know, what I'm going to do house. Tell me. How about I send you some images of like the bosom yes. and the, the my the pork latte and the salads, and you could post those on the House of Carbs Instagram account. Oh my dude, yes, of course. You know we're on the gram at the House of Carbs. Uh, check out Rappo's handiwork. Now I'm so happy to hear you confess the need for even something as simple as as chicken under a brick. I made chili myself this weekend. Sunday night, I made a nice big uh, adobo chili. And as I was getting started, I realized what I wanted was just a little bit of reassurance about the correct way to brown meat because I had some nice fatty 80-20 ground beef. And I and I wanted, we, we went for a combination of turkey and beef together. 
uh, and I okay. had some 85-15 turkey and some 80-20 beef. And the, throwing those two together in the same pot, I just wanted to make sure that that, that initial browning, that I got the color and the texture correct because I did it all in a single giant Le Creuset, you know, like 10-quart monster. Um, and and I went online and looked up how to brown meat. And I, so so I, you, you make me feel a little bit better that, that you, even you, I've, go ahead. It's, if you really, yeah, because honestly, like that technique is important because if you really want the meat to brown, if you put a lot of meat in the pan, it often doesn't brown. It kind of just sweats and boils in its own fat and it doesn't get the chance to get crispy because there's not enough room in the pan. There's too much moisture in there. Um, so that's one thing. Like don't, don't crowd the pan. Um, that's just, that's just good advice for any time you want something that's crispy. You know, it needs room to get hot and for that moisture to evaporate. The other thing which a lot of cooks do, and I know what the cooks in the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen do is if they're doing like to say, say you're doing just ground beef, um, we did a bolognese recipe that's up right now on our site oh. called BA's Best Bolognese. Oh. And what Andy Barragani, our test kitchen editor, was talking about on a uh, Bon Appetit foodcast, as we call our podcast here, he he took the meat, it was like a pound of meat or something, he sort of bunched it into like golf ball-sized chunks and then put that in the pan so each ball got super crispy on the outside and really well-browned before he broke it up, if that makes sense. You know what I huh. mean? Okay. So it sounds it, like yeah, cooking so meatballs. Like basically, yeah, but that that allows each that allows more room in the pan and more opportunity for overall caramelizing and browning before you break it up and, and the pan gets more evenly filled. But again, you gotta be careful. If you put too much meat in a pan at first, again, it's gonna it's gonna simmer more than it's gonna brown. So look at that. Two two bonus elements that that uh Hungry homies out there didn't know we had it in store for them today. Not only did we give them, you reminded everybody of of one of the most crucial kitchen tools, the spider. Go out and get one. It's five dollars, I believe, at any uh, uh, supply store, including you know we're not sponsored by Sir Latab, but you know you can get one there. Uh, and yeah, then we yeah, had yeah, yeah. Sure, top those guys they know what's up and and yeah again it's one of those indispensable a great set of tongs a good spider you should always have that little crock pot next to your stove of the things you always reach for and, and, and like, the tongs spider I also love the wooden spoons that are cut on an angle and they're they're they're, they're flat on the end so you can scrape up the little crispy bits on the bottom of your cruise you know what I'm talking about yeah man you got to have it you need that that edge to get the crisp out yeah you need the edge exactly and then you want one really good spatula like a heavy one so you can make your smash burgers and that sort of stuff well we we so we gave everybody kitchen tools today we gave them Valentine's Day planning. We gave them a beautiful winter menu. You're going to get pictures of the stuff that that Rappo's talking about. We gave you the reassurance that it's okay to look at the <laughs> look up a recipe for something that you think might be the most basic thing ever. It's okay. We gave very extensive direction on the proper way to brown up some meat. Now, Rappo, I'm going to let you go in one minute, but. Uh, Let's give everybody, we got to preview uh, something. You and I are going to be together in, in, in just over two weeks. We are venturing out to Los Angeles, California. I don't know if we're at liberty to name names yet, but what I wanted to, to do is let everybody know 
That last week of February, it may be cold wherever you are. It ain't. Hopefully, we're knocking on wood. It ain't going to be too cold in, in, in L.A. But we we are going to be eating at least three, four, five, maybe six meals together with some uh, noteworthy uh, chefs, noteworthy folks in the food game, and maybe some noteworthy folks who just love food otherwise. Um, so I I won't I won't uh, spoil any of the story yet. But we are going to be together. There will there will be pictures. We're going to document some of this, and we're going to do a lot of fantastic eating right a lot of fantastic eating there might be a little golf maybe Uh, probably yeah we'll we'll see if we can sneak (laughs) away our our bosses will work us pretty hard rapo yeah i know they they expect us to work when we go out there but yeah no really looking forward to eat that and also just la right now is such an amazing food city um in the last like five years it's definitely become one of the most interesting food cities in america if not the world um and so as as a as a food guy from new york uh it's always a treat to get out there and see what's new as well as all the amazing traditional sort of international food that that's always been in in la uh from the san gabriel valley to koreatown etc etc um ton of great eating to be had well, as a, as a big eater from D.C., I second that emotion. We're going to go and try and eat all of Los Angeles, and I can't wait. <laughs> all right, dude. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe House. There we go, my hungry homies. Thanks for listening in. Hopefully, you got some good inspiration for your winter cooking we're going to add to that inspiration. we got pictures coming from Allison Herman. We've got pictures. I've already seen them. A half dozen pictures from Rappo going up on the House of Carbs Instagram, at the House of Carbs. We want you to jump on there, see what we've done, and then show us your version. Go ahead and cook some up and take a snap and send it to us. We'll throw you in a story. We'll, we'll replicate that picture. We appreciate all you hungry homies helping us with the belly sourcing. Until next time, my hungry homies, let's stay hungry out there.